From Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes. We break down the big political news affecting Wisconsin. I'm Ayan Silver, speaking with J.R. Ross, editor of WisPolitics.com. He provides a roundup of the Wisconsin developments you need to know. Here's our latest conversation. Hello, J.R. Welcome to March. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> okay, so... Last week, you mentioned the colossal spending in the Wisconsin Supreme Court race. We now know there's been more money spent on that judicial race than really any state judicial race in U.S. history. And it might beat some U.S. governor's race spending, right? Yeah, you know, possible. I mean, I'm kind of a little bit of a a dork when it comes to my spreadsheets and I track spending in in races. And I've I've got, at this point, $19 that's been spent uh, by candidates and groups in the Supreme Court race. To put that in perspective, the state record previously was $9.8 million in 2020. The most expensive race nationally was $15 million in 2004 in Illinois. So we are well beyond that with, you know, four weeks to go. The question is, you know, how high can it climb? What I'm really watching for is how much money do conservatives pour in this race? And why is that important to me is I keep talking to insiders on both sides who tell me that they expect – the liberal side to spend more than conservatives. So if conservatives come in here and spend, you know, let's say $5 million, the liberals tell me they're going to spend more than that. So that'd be seven to $10 million. So I'm not predicting this is going to top like a governor's race just yet. Um, but got to keep in mind, you know, a dozen years ago, the 2010 governor's race was $37 million. So we might get somewhere not quite there, but you know, where we used to see a statewide race for governor uh, that lasted months, we're talking about a sprint too, right? This is, you know, a six-week sprint after the primary. That's really interesting to watch how that plays out. And I'm really watching too, is there a disparity in the spending? And looking at what's happened post-primary, so far all I've seen on the conservative side is about less than a million dollars from Fair Courts America, uh, which is supporting Daniel Kelly. It's an anti which ad hitting her on crime. On the other side, Protosay, which has put $6.5 million into TV so far. Now, that's from post-primary through April 4th, right? It's not like a, a one-to-one comparison of the million dollars that Fair Courts is doing. But I'm also seeing a Better Wisconsin Together political fund, which is a, a Democratic group, doing $1.3 million so far in ads opposing Daniel Kelly. And then I'm seeing uh, liberal groups drop about a million dollars on you know, the vote efforts. That's the door knocking, the phone banking, stuff like that. So the liberals are more organized, more enthusiastic, and better funded right now. I mean, there's you know there's still a window for Daniel Kelly to, to win this thing, but that window is getting a little narrow uh, unless we see some conservative money really come in. Now, a cautionary tale for liberals getting too overconfident. Back in 2019, uh, Brian Hagedorn uh, was really being outspent. People thought he didn't have much of a chance to win. And then you saw a rallying of conservatives over the last couple of weeks of that race, a flood of money late, and it carried them over the top. So as long as this thing is done yet, but there's definitely a, a sense of pessimism among some conservatives I talked to about the race and definitely some optimism among Democrats about where things stand between Janet Protasiewicz and, and Daniel Kelly. And all this money that's coming into Wisconsin, how is it really being used to control the narrative around this Supreme Court race, you know, with these ad campaigns, with what people are talking about? Oh, you're seeing the playbook for conservatives is try to dis- try to disqualify part of say which on crime, right? Every circuit court judge in Wisconsin who sits over criminal cases is going to have a, a couple of quote unquote bad cases. Ones where they've agreed to a, a plea deal 
or gave less than what was they could have to somebody who did something really awful um, for whatever reason. They make great TV ads, you know, that's just the way it is. Um, they're going to try to use those against Bordesewitch and say that she's soft on crime. It's their best bet right now. You know, there's also an argument that she's trying to put her thumb on the scale uh, of in the courts and really rule in favor of those who support abortion rights or want to overturn the maps now in place for the state legislature. Um, I don't know that's as motivating an argument, really, for voters as the crime stuff might be. Now, the challenge is, how do you make it stick? Remember, crime was an issue last fall in the Senate race, right, with Mandela Barnes. With Mandela Barnes, you had him on air saying, or on camera saying, the phrase, defund the police. You had a picture of him holding a t-shirt that said, you know, abolish ICE. They also used crime against Tony Evers in the governor's race. Didn't work as well, right? You didn't have Evers saying that phrase on, on camera or recorded. You had him trying to put money into uh, law enforcement over the course of the year. Likewise, Porto which she's been a prosecutor. She's been a judge. She can point to that as like, look, I'm, I want common sense stuff for crime. So we be interested to see if that, if that argument sticks uh, and if they can really hurt her with that because there's definitely a part of the electorate motivated by abortion right now. Porto which is running pretty unabashedly about her beliefs uh, and, uh, on that issue. And we're interested to see how that plays and if it's what carries her across the finish line come April or if there's some kind of backlash against that. Well, I'd like to know what this means for the voting public because, you know, when you were talking about the tough on crime ads, they've really been called nonsense by lawyers, especially lawyers that are practicing in front of the Supreme Court or doing appellate work because the high court never really rules on sexual assault cases. That's been really at the forefront of a lot of these anti-crime ads. In fact, I'd like to play for you just like a couple 15-second clips that pro-Protosewitz camps are doing against Kelly and pro-Kelly camps are doing against Protosewitz. Here, here we go. Dan Kelly won't keep our community safe. As a lawyer, Kelly defended child sex predators who posed as ministers in order to prey on vulnerable young girls. And here's another one. A convicted felon kidnapped and raped a 15-year-old girl, abducting her off the street in broad daylight. Judge Janet Protosewitz could have sentenced him to 20 years. Instead, she put him back on our streets. So what's your take on that? Look, I mean, I get the argument that they don't really have much to do with what goes on the Supreme Court, but the reality is it's all fair game. It's all part of their background, right? And you're judging the character of the person that you're voting for or voting against for Supreme Court. So it's all part, it's all fair game. It may not be what they do in the court, but it's all part of the background and the narrative that's being built about this race. And so it's just how things are, are run these days. All right. Okay. So moving on from the Wisconsin Supreme Court, we've got the budget that's still plugging along in Madison. The state is projected a $7 billion surplus and Republicans like Assembly Speaker Robin Voss say that that's one-time money and shouldn't be used to fund new programs or ongoing expenses, whereas Evers has proposed tax cuts and more spending for local governments and K-12 schools. How do you think that that's going to resolve itself or be handled ultimately? Well, it's going to be a question of how much do you put into schools, right? Because And what do you, what do you have to trade off for it? Uh, Governor Evers wants a big boost for K-12 education. Robin Voss and other Republicans want some things for the voucher program. Is there a deal to be made there? There is definitely going to be talk about increasing share revenue, which is the state aid to local governments to help pay for services. Um, I get the impression there's consensus that more should be done 
for local governments. The question is, what's the trade-off? Will Republicans require, like, earmarking that money for law enforcement, for example, or public safety? Will there be money put aside for, you know, innovation, you know, to try to encourage local governments to share services or find ways to cut costs? Those are all things that are to be determined. Now, what's interesting is, yes, the surplus is largely one-time money. That is true. It was built up for a couple of things. One, uh, the federal government pumped a ton of COVID-19 money into state and local governments to try and keep the economy f- flowing. Uh, that helped state coffers. Uh, two, the state did not spend all that money uh, when they did the budget two years ago, put a lot of it aside, so it's accumulated. And three, you, know, you got inflation, and inflation is bad for consumers, but good for state tax sales tax revenues, right? Those have got to be added all together, and we have this pot of money it's more realistic to look at like what is projected going for the next two years. So from July 1st of this year through June 30th of 2025, the Nonpartisan Legislative Fiscal Bureau projects about $1.2 billion in revenue growth. That gives you an idea of how much more we're supposed to take in every two years from you know income, sales, corporate taxes, those kinds of things. That's a more realistic number of like what the future looks like. We have this one-time money, though. Do you use it for one-time expenses? Governor Evers put out a capital budget this past week. So the budget budget, the big document put out uh, February 15th, has spending for schools and Medicaid and tax cuts and those kinds of things. There's a separate capital budget, basically our infrastructure, you know, buildings, those kinds of things. Um, Evers wants to do about $3.8 billion in that budget. Uh, half of that would be in cash because we have one-time money laying around, his argument is. We should use cash to do these projects rather than bonding for them because if you do a bond, you borrow money over 20 years and you pay it off. We would save a lot of interest costs by doing this, right? And now Republicans, I'm, uh, my feeling is they're going to reduce that $3.8 billion down quite a bit. They did two years ago taking a $2.3 billion capital budget down to $1.5 billion. So there'll be reductions, but it gives you an idea that some of this money laying around in the surplus that's you know through the end of this fiscal year, June 30th, it's going to be used for one-time expenses. Maybe they do some buildings. Maybe they do a project here or there. Stuff like that that they don't build into the base of the budget. The base, if you build in the base, it's an ongoing expense. That means in another two years, when we build the next budget, you got to account for it. So that might be how they use some of this cash to make sure we don't have a long-term debt, uh, long-term obligation. We're not going to have long-term money from what happened with COVID and those kinds of things. Well, Voss, the Speaker, Assembly Speaker, has called Evers' budget an unrealistic solution, and he said, quote, absolutely devoid of reality. Are you seeing Evers try new tactics with the GOP to get things done? He met with um, Robin Voss and Devin Lemahieu last week. Uh, we talked to the governor after he addressed the Wisconsin Counties Association. He said they reached common ground, to use his uh, phrase, when it comes to shared revenue for local governments. Now, Common ground on doing more money is different than common ground on the details, right? There could be strings attached to that money, like I said before, so we'll see how that plays out. But the governor and lawmakers are meeting when they were before. They didn't talk a whole lot last budget. There's been a, a strained relationship there. But there's definitely more of an effort from the governor to work with lawmakers. We'll see if it bears fruit when this thing is said and done. All right. As always, thanks for breaking this all down, JR, and thank you for joining me on Capital Notes. Anytime. That was J.R. Ross of WizPolitics.com speaking with me, WUWM's Mayan Silver. 
Listen for our segments every Monday with an extended segment on Lake Effect and check out the Capital Notes podcast wherever you get your podcasts.